0: There is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time. Like the 2020s to build a company, yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are. And you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward thinking investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists and how do they think about their day to day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build a billion dollar companies just like Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to investors about how they got into venture, how they think about portfolio theory, and all things investing. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to you, Chris McCann, who's a partner at Race Capital. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Chris?
1: Uh, pretty good. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. Uh, I know we got you know we got connected recently over the last few months, and it's been awesome interacting on Twitter. And now I get to kind of kind of introduce you to my whole audience, which is uh, which is super fun um so I think to start I always start here love to hear how you kind of got into venture and maybe uh, like one or two minutes on just kind of your your store up until now and how you landed in in the wonderful world of venture capital
1: (laughs) oh man this is a long story but I'll try to truncate it as much as I can so um I I was actually mostly a, a a founder before all this so um when I first moved to the bay area in 2009 um the very first company I started was called startup digest we were doing a uh, email tech newsletters originally just for silicon valley but we ended up expanding across uh, 550 cities got to about a million subscribers it was acquired by um, tech stars um, now tech newsletters are a thing um sub and all that like it probably sounds very normal for me to say i was doing tech newsletter stuff and you probably don't think much of it um back in 2009 nobody was doing tech newsletters <laughs> we were a very oddball uh kind of operation if you will um Funny enough, we we were actually one of the earliest and biggest users for MailChimp when they first got started. And so MailChimp was also super new. Um, SendGrid hadn't even started yet. Um, The the whole ecosystem was um, totally on the new side. So um, we were building and making up a lot of it as we went along the way. And then uh, um, for Startup Digest, we ended up building a whole bunch of uh, software tools for ourselves um, to manage a bunch of the community for outreach, for internal stuff. Um, again, back at the time, Discord didn't exist, Signal didn't exist, Telegram didn't exist. Um, so we had to kind of build internally a lot of our own um, kind of basic tools as well. And so after we sold Startup Digest, the next company I did is we tried to take all this community software and turn this into its own independent company. Um, it was called Grouptie. We were, we were targeting um, sort of B2B businesses, community software tools, um, which again, probably now doesn't sound so crazy. Discord's a super big company. Back then, nobody was doing any of the stuff. Um, companies didn't know what the hell we were talking about. No, nobody wanted to pay for any of this stuff. It was unclear who would pay for any of this stuff. Um, it was just a very different um, uh, ecosystem at the time. Um, although uh, for group Tie, one of our biggest users was the Teal Fellowship. And that, uh, inside the Teal Fellowship, there was a guy who was a really active user called Dan Patia, who's one of a partner um, at Greylock Partners. Um, for the longest time, Dan had been trying to use group Tie. But I kept telling him no because I didn't want any VCs to use the tool, because if a VC used the tool, I would get the question: Is did they invest? And so I basically told all the VCs, no, I'm sorry, you you can't use this. And he kept pinging me all the time. I really want to use the tool. I really want to. I'm sorry, like I just can't. <laughs> and so, um, long story short, when we were winding down the company, Dan uh, pinged me and was like, hey, like I want to use the tool now. Can I? And I'm like, hey, man, like it didn't work out. Like I, I'm happy to you know show you and talk to you about it. And so. Um, he invited me over to the to the Greylock office and we we're sitting in a room uh, we started talking about you know what it was brainstorming about community and then brainstorming more specifically about how community could be potentially applied to Greylock and venture as a whole and so we were whiteboarding a bunch of stuff on the whiteboard and Dan asked me you know what was my plan post uh, sort of the shutdown of the company I didn't really have one and so Dan's like how would you like to do this here and I was like what do you mean this and he's like all, all the stuff we just talked about, just do that here. I was like, okay, I guess so. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, long story short, that's how I ended up in venture. Um, not your uh, typical path, I guess. Um, and and I did not necessarily think I was going to stay at, uh, I ended up staying at Greylock for almost five years. Um, my, my initial thought was I was going to be there for a few months, kind of help start and build out some of the network ecosystem stuff that they were doing, probably leave and start something else. But uh, I, I ended up liking it a lot. So I ended up staying there for a lot longer than I thought.
0: What about being on the other side of the table? Did you like, like, I, I know a lot, I've talked to a lot of people in the same situation where, like, they were founders, then they, you know, tried their hand at in investing and then they actually liked it a lot for you. What was the specific thing that, you know, attracted you and kept you around at Greylock?
1: Um, I, Greylock's a really great firm. I've been, been around for a long time, one of the top, top five, top three venture funds um, in the Valley, depending on how you slice it, cut it, or whatever. And uh, um, yeah, there was just a bunch of brilliant people there, and a lot of amazing founders that came by. And again, in venture, you, you sometimes—not all the time—but you sometimes get to be in this really privileged position where you have all these, you know, people coming to you. And uh, I, I think for myself too, like I felt like doing startup digest. I felt like I had a pretty good handle on things. I thought I knew the startup ecosystem. I thought I thought I, I, I kind of knew how it works. I thought I knew I sort of. Uh, uh, like understood scale and all that. I think being there for the first few months, I realized I didn't really know any of this stuff. <laughs> and it, it was actually a much bigger, broader, faster moving pace world than I, I would have ever had an appreciation for. Um, so th- that was like one factor, I guess. The, the second one is initially when I joined, I started and ran all the um, community uh, ecosystem and networking type stuff. And so we used to do all these groups around uh, uh, sort of different functional areas. So product growth, design, infrastructure, engineering, security, customer success. And then we started doing groups around different um, uh, market spaces. So like VR, AR, esports, autonomous vehicles, robotics, crypto, basically all these new areas that people really like to aggregate in. And I guess from a more community and sort of ecosystem type of person, you know, when we used to send emails out for a startup digest, you know, we, we'd get 30, 40% uh, sort of open rate, like decent click through rate and all that. Uh, at Greylock, when I invited somebody to an event, 95% of the time, they would show up. Not just click on the email, not just, you know, respond. Literally, like, the vast majority of people, like, I reached out to showed up. <laughs> um, and, and, and this wasn't necessarily people we all knew and who are we friendly with. Like, you know, I, I started to leverage that to see how far I can take it. Like, literally, uh, you know, for for example, for, like, the uh, VR ecosystem thing that we did in the beginning when VR was super hot. Um, we invited some of the headset makers, some of the core developers, some of the GPU chipset makers, some of the people building games, some of the people building peripheries. Literally, I didn't know any of these people. I just cold emailed all these people. 95% of them showed up. Um, so the, the the amount of uh, reach you can get and learnings you could have in a short amount of time, it's it's pretty incredible from a community ecosystem perspective. And so I think in the first few months, years, that was like the thing that kind of stuck with me in how much we could apply the things we were initially building. I was trying to do it kind of more as a software, but sort of thinking about it from a customer of one and how much we can do with it just kind of internally.
0: That's really interesting. it's like the, the idea of like seeing how far you could take it, uh, you know, that, that, that's, I think there's a lot of success to be found kind of just with that strategy. But right right now, you, you you are not a Greylock, You 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 are you are somewhere else. To so help help us understand, so you joined Greylock, You help you helped out with community efforts. Um, kind of h- how did that go? And, and and what what kind of happened after that? And kind of can you walk us through the journey? Um, from Greylock to kind of your next thing.
1: Yeah. Um. Again, my initial intention is I thought I was going to be there for a few months and leave and do something else. And a few months turned almost into five years. Um. At a, at a bigger venture fund, um, I, I guess there's a lot of benefits to, to being at a bigger fund. Um, one of the, the, I guess, more downsides, if you will, is funds usually aren't so big in terms of number of employees. Like maybe Andreas and Horowitz is the exception, but like most funds tend to be either, even big funds tend to be core 30, 40, maybe 50-ish people. Um, there's no real rank and hierarchy. And then I guess the downside is there's no real upwards trajectory. And so I was doing the community network stuff and I I dabbled a little bit on the investing side, but was I ever going to graduate to be a partner? And then just logistically, like, no, it's just not going to happen. Maybe there's a small, infinitely small chance I was going to be able to do that. But if I wanted to really be on the investment side, I I would have had to do it myself. And and then um, the other thing I guess is that Greylock is a little strict on um, sort of allowing people to do personal angel investments. Long story short, basically you can't. And, and so, um, again, to kind of do it on my own, I would have had to strike it out on my own in some form or fashion. And so, um, yeah, after being there for so long, I I, um, I kind of just decided to leave without I didn't have a um, I, d- I didn't have a thing afterwards. <laughs> um, race wasn't started immediately after um, I, I kind of designed it in that way where I wanted to give myself a little bit of a break. Um, and then the other thing I did after is I uh, gray luck, at least at the time, was very. Uh, Uh, U.S. Silicon Valley centric. Um, You know, even L.A. was like too far. Like we we looked very much kind of in our own um, geographic location. But I I knew the world, even through my experience at Startup Digest, like I knew the world was a lot bigger than just purely Silicon Valley. And so immediately after I left, uh, I ended up living. uh, I I took the family, wife and kid. uh, Originally, we only had one kid at the time. So I took the wife and kid and we moved to to China, uh, mostly out to Asia. Um, So I lived out there for almost three, four months um, to just see a wildly different ecosystem. Um, I I, I didn't know much about it. I I didn't have a ton of um, close contacts, close connections there. Uh, But one of my good friends and now partners, uh, Edith Young, uh, he used to be at uh, 500 Startups and GP there. um, She was going to China at the same time and she used to run all the China practice for uh, 500 itself. And so me and her basically tag team and just spending a lot of time within the Chinese tech ecosystem which is a very radically different ecosystem than um, than in the U.S. Um, long story short, I kind of won't go, go into all that, but basically a lot of our discussions and conversations and pulling in friends and people and talking to you, a lot of that eventually led to become race capital. But yeah, I, I didn't have a very, like it, it, it might seem very um, clean in hindsight. I was at a big fund, I left, I started, you know, this new fund or whatever, but in foresight, it, it, it was not like a clear, obvious path. I, I had no idea what I was going to do at the time.
0: And it seems to me at least from like our interactions and, and what you kind of tweet about that you have found like, you know, some core thesis, thesis, theses for, for investing. Um, and you have kind of made a name for yourself in a few different kind of sectors. I'd love to hear um, at what point did you start to like develop um, a thesis around investing? Was it at Greylock? Was it at, I mean, regardless, you know, how did you get to where you are now? And what is your thesis? Like, what do you, what do you like investing in? Um, and, and then kind of how did you get there?
1: Yeah, um, maybe I'll start with now and kind of work backwards a little bit. Um, so for Race Capital, we're all early stage. so pre seed up to Series A. And we tend to bias towards things more in the infrastructural layer. Uh, So it could be financial infrastructure, DeFi infrastructure, which I've spent a bunch of time in, um, but also more broadly, things like computation infrastructure, um, transaction systems, data infrastructure, ML infrastructure type systems, anything kind of below applications is really our um, sweet spot. Um, And and our team's kind of designed in this way, like I probably spend more time in the financial and DeFi realm, uh, but my other partners, uh, Alfred, so Alfred Chung was the former founder CEO of BA Systems, literally invented... Uh, the word and in the concept of middleware. Um, he was also the first uh, investor for Databricks when they were originally starting as initially Spark, um, and then Edith Young. So Edith focuses more on like uh, communication and e-commerce infrastructure type stuff. Uh, she was one of the initial investors for uh, Agora, uh, the uh, uh, video infrastructure API company, which went public last year. And so um, we we all um, kind of round each other out, if you will, both in terms of working style, personality, spaces, all that. Uh, I guess you didn't really ask me this, but like, I don't know if I could do this as like a single solo GP. I know that's like the trend and everybody wants to do that, but there's a huge benefit to doing this as a team. Um, And I really lean on my partners for expertise outside of the somewhat core areas that that I know and think of. And so a lot of our thesis today is kind of reflected on the three of us and, and eventually kind of what we built out. But, but I guess how I got there is, so in, at Greylock, um, as I was mentioning, we, we, we tended to focus on a lot of these um, emerging market sectors, uh, VR, AR, esports, autonomous vehicles, robotics, crypto, kind of all this weird new stuff. And uh, I really, really fell in love with the crypto sector. Um, back in the 2014, 15 timeframe, Greylock invested in uh, uh, Coinbase, Zappo, Blockstream, a bunch of companies in the um, Bitcoin ecosystem, um, at the time I used to live in this hacker house and one of the early uh, ethereum core developers uh, lived with us and I kind of got to see like the initial start of um, ethereum uh, when it got first got started um, when I left Greylock I was an in- initial investor for binance uh, and uh, um, and uh, Solana when they they were getting their license and just starting and then for the fun we were fortunate enough to be a seed investor for FTX itself And so again, I think it's I think it's 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 easy to, points in hindsight instead of like, you know, I have some exact market theory on how this all, all all this stuff would play out. And I I exactly knew the future. And I was a forward thinking investor um, for, 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 for your title namesake. But again, I think in reality, most of these things tend to be messier um, than how VCs like to play it out to be. And in the early stage, you're really gravitating towards founders, entrepreneurs, markets, and the fact that they will figure this out not necessarily that these things exist yet. If we were just investing in markets that existed, it would be a lot more boring and more slower growing. Like you kind of have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and kind of explore a little bit to, to, to do that. And, and so I, I guess where I get a lot of this too, is um, like in addition to investing in this stuff, I actually genuinely like to use a lot of these things. Um, like we're investors in Sabre, like I'm a big user of Sabre actually. I, I love the um, system and what they built. Um, I use a bunch of things within the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, I, I do some more like development and programming for myself again, nothing like hardcore or whatever, but just to like kind of go through the full process. Cause at least personally, like I really love it. I really love instead of just purely talking about it on a theoretical level, I love to actually try and use the stuff myself too.
0: When you meet, founders that are like talking about building in a, in a market you've never even heard of before. Like, it's very, very, very cutting edge. I feel like there's a, there's a point, um, where like, you know, someone just sounds insane and there's nothing there and it's all in their imagination. And this is is very, in my experience, very common with first time founders, people that are just figuring it out. Um, and then there's the, the other side, which is like, there's just enough signal there to like lean in and like, and, 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 and invest and build that conviction. I'm curious for you, since you kind of invest in the early stages and markets that aren't necessarily built yet, how do you just think about evaluating like opportunities and, and if it's too early or too late? Um, I'm just curious if, if you're open to sharing any of kind of your thoughts there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. The biggest reaction I, I have when you say that is um, one of the things I love to do. Actually, I just had this experience today. Um, I had a f- founder, a super early one, who was pitching me about this new space he was in. And he asked me the question of, hey, do you prefer a, a deck or do you, do you just want me to talk about it? Uh, kind of discussion form back and forth. I said, either one, whatever the one you're most comfortable with. But the thing I really want to see is a demo. Um, I, I don't care if it's rough or raw or like terminal or CLI or there's no interface or whatever. But, but uh, it, it, my strong, strong preference is to actually see something. Um, because again, to your point, I think sometimes it's really easy to talk about theoretical big ideas and all this stuff. It's much harder to squeeze this big idea into something that you can see on a screen. Um, I actually think also post-COVID actually helped in this regard because you need, to, you need to squeeze it onto a screen, which you could share in a 30 minute time frame. <laughs> there's... There's not a lot of room for error. And so usually it's pretty, um, it, it's easy to judge if somebody's completely BSing or not. If they're completely BSing and it's all theoretical and there's really nothing there yet, again, they could be too early for that. And that's, that's okay too. Like we, we definitely meet people early on that eventually kind of get there. But like most people who have a propensity towards building have something to show off. And, and usually when I say that, they're usually actually so much more excited to show me than tell me. They're like, oh, I'm so glad you told me not to show you deck. I I just, I really just want to show you the product. I love stuff like that. Like that's the stuff I gravitate towards. Um, And again, it's okay if it's rough, if it's early, if it's raw, if there's no UI. Like, in fact, I actually tend to like that stuff better um, because that's more of like the real stuff you're building. There's nothing, there's nothing to hide all that. There's nothing to kind of smooth it out. It's the real raw core essence of like, what are you actually building? Show it to me. And you
0: mentioned something like 15 minutes ago, uh, talking about your time at Greylock, where the, the idea of like seeing how far you can take ne- networking and getting getting kind of the brand out. And w- what I'm learning, you know, now more than ever in my current role um, at Seed Scout is like network is so important. Like, like who, who you have relationships with, like, you know, this is, you know, in the venture business, this is this is a lot of it. So I'm I'm curious for you, if anyone's listening and maybe they're aspiring um, VCs or their early stage VCs or anyone where network matters, which is pretty much anyone, do you have any tips or ideas on like, you know, ways that people can extend their network, push it beyond boundaries without being too pushy? Like, what are are some of your thoughts on kind of building those relationships?
1: Yeah, um, I have a really good story for this one, although probably doesn't necessarily work today, but we'll, we'll work hopefully within like a few months or whatever. Um, so I, I went to college at a um, this school called Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is kind of in the Central Coast of California. It's slightly more like a technical school. It doesn't have the cachet of like a Stanford or Berkeley or whatever. But like usually most people that come out of it are, are pretty solid. And so the most valuable thing I ever had with when I was a college student was the at calpoly.edu email address. People love helping out college students. Um, and again, this is broadly applicable to not just pure college, but I'm just sort of using that as an example. And so one time, uh, uh, me and my roommate, my roommate, his name was Brian Riley at the time, um, we wanted to do the same question, how do we, you know, we, we were literally just college students, I think we were sophomores at the time, um, like literally sitting in our, uh, uh, we had like an apartment, we're sitting in our apartment, and you know, we we, we had heard about all the Silicon Valley stuff, but we wanted to see it for ourselves. How do you go and do that? And so at the time we found there was a conference going on in um, San Francisco. It was like a private equity conference focused on um, like green tech solar. It ended up not being a space at all like we gravitated towards, but just, you know, something that looked really cool and the rosters and the attendees and all that stuff. And so we just uh, emailed the, the conference organizers and said, hey, we're students at Cal Poly. We're happy to help volunteer or whatever. We're like we love, you know, discounted or free tickets um, if you guys like support college students in any way. And the organizer just responded back and said, sure, we, we'd love to have you. If you could help out with X, Y, Z, like we'll, we'll give you compasses, no problem. And so literally like everybody at this conference were all, you know, now I, I, I guess like it, it's, it's not that mysterious, but at the time, like everybody was all these PE, VC people with all suits on and whatever. And we were literally like software and software colleges that came up and um, we did a lot of things like that to sort of gain exposure and go outside of our comfort zone. And so I, I guess my biggest, more general response to all that is, uh, uh, like, just like message people, put it out there. People are actually far more willing to help out if you ask something specific and tangible. If you email and you say, "Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. You want to talk to me for fifteen minutes?" It's really easy to ignore that. If you email somebody and say, "Hey, I used your product. I did a bunch of..." Screenshots. Here are some things that I think you can improve with. I'd love to pick your brain for 15 minutes to think about how you think about product strategy. Most people would take that conversation, regardless of your background or who you are. Like, you, you've spent the time to figure out something that I care about. And people lo- like, people love talking about the stuff that they care about. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a college student, if you're an underrepresented person, if you're a random person in some random country, it doesn't matter. Like, people really appreciate stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I w- one day when I find some more success, I, I will like write, a, a, you know, either a long essay or a book on all the shenanigans that I, I got myself into to expand my network. It's um, <laughs> it's, it's a fun game to play. Um, and it's it just changes as you get a little older, for sure. Um, well, my last question for you is if someone's kind of listening to to, to this podcast and they kind of like your story, like what you, you're kind of investing in. Um, how can someone learn more about race capital? Like do you have a, a website, do you, you know, are you on Twitter or LinkedIn? I guess, how can someone learn more about you? And if someone wanted to show you a demo or just re- reach out, what's kind of the best way to get in touch?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. If there's any founders listening, especially anybody building more technical infrastructure type stuff, we always want to see a demo. Um, I am really easy to find online. Just Chris McCann. Um, my Twitter handle is at McCannitron longer story why I've had that, um, or, or my email is just Chris at race.capital. And then for Race Capital, we actually try to be a little bit more transparent than other VC funds. I feel like sometimes other VC funds' websites is just like a, we are VC fund page, don't contact us. (laughs) Uh, Ours, hopefully, we we, we are a little bit better at that. So we have a, um, let me see what it's called, it's a how we invest section. And we actually talk about the things we look for, typical check size, what areas we like, what we don't like. We kind of spell it out. And then we have like a general catch-all email, which we actually do read. I think it's just deals at Capital, where you know, we actually respond to people who, who ping us from that. Again, we can't, we probably can't promise we respond to everybody, but if you meet the areas, if you, if you read the post and, you know, meet the, meet the areas that we're looking for, we'll definitely respond back.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for hosting.